Welcome to Garden Society. We are a sisterhood of women exploring holistic ways to rejuvenate from the rigors of daily life. We are wives and moms, sisters and girlfriends, bill payers, breadwinners, multitaskers, and peacemakers. We invite you to explore the possibility of elevating every day with our favorite plant. Grant yourself permission to chill out, smoke a joint, and get inspired to find your joy with us on Garden Society, the podcast. This gathering of the Garden Society is now in session. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Garden Society, the podcast. We are so thrilled to be here today with the amazing Kimberly Dillon. We are very, very thankful to have this opportunity to speak with someone who has worked on both sides of the coin in the cannabis industry. She has been with one of the big successful companies. She's now branching out on her own, and she has a fantastic background. So, uh, Kimberly, welcome. We're so excited to have you here today. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So Kimberly is a marketing guru with expansive expertise in the CPG and cannabis world. She formerly was with Papa and Barkley, which is one of the leading cannabis wellness companies in the industry, beautiful topicals and tinctures. Uh, Kimberly now has founded her own company, Plant and Prosper. I love that name. Um, so she's going to be consulting with and guiding cannabis folks as they develop purpose-driven brands and stories. And I am just so thrilled to have you here as a marketer myself, building Garden Society with Erin. I have so many questions for you um, and would love to just start with you sharing um, a little bit more of your background and how you, you came to be in this space today. I would love to. Thank you for that intro. Um, yeah, the journey's been um, a twisted one, but I would like to say <laughs> that all my experiences just have made me even better. <laughs> what um, cannabis journey isn't twisted? I love a good twisted sister. I like it. <laughs> it it's been up and down because it's called self-discovery. But one of the things uh, that my grandmother uh, taught me was like, go to joy and go where you're curious. And so I've always just gone after things that were like really interesting to me at the time. So like my very first job out of school, I worked in this like consulting company and I had to wear suits and pantyhose in the South. Ugh. But there was this, <laughs> it was horrible. And, but then there's this little thing called MySpace that was happening. And I taught myself enough HTML to like bling people's MySpace pages. <laughs> and I was making more money doing that than like going to my job. That is um, amazing. <laughs> and so I've always done these like little like chase where the money is or chase what's new. And it's really, really around innovation. So uh, after MySpace, there's this thing called Second Life. Then there's this thing called Facebook. And then I joined a digital ad agency and kind of just did all these weird, crazy things in my early 20s. And then went to business school um, and the day I started, uh, business school was the day Lehman Brothers crashed. <laughs> oh and my like gosh. And it's like the only time I've seen men just cry en masse. Because <laughs> <laughs> here's all these men who are like, I'm going to be an investment bankers and my life is going to change. And then like instantly it was like, we're going to go into marketing. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh, 
I uh, went into marketing because I've always loved marketing. I went to, I studied marketing in high school at a vocational school. So like mm. it's always been in my blood and uh, did a number of stints at P&G and at Clorox and uh, lived in San Francisco uh, or Oakland rather at the time. And tech was happening. And the girl next to me started dating a guy who started this company called Uber and um, I just saw the texting coming and tried to t- teach myself how to code. That was miserable. <laughs> and so when I was in L.A. Uh, about four years ago, I just started thinking about, like, how cannabis was going to be the next tech wave. And unlike the tech wave of uh, the previous generation where it was, like, all about engineers – I was like, oh, this is going to be around marketers and really around business people. Because ultimately, I was like, well, cannabis is going to become a commodity. So it's really around the marketing that surrounds it. So let me jump in. Um, That's also coinciding with my personal path of just having horrible sleep apnea, which is a detriment if you're a female. I mean, any gender, but like as a woman, <laughs> to snore like I yeah. snore. We were just not, talking about we that. Were, we were just talking it's about snoring. Really like it's, it's not approved if you're a female <laughs> snorer. Oh, no. No, uh, I had a boyfriend threaten to break up with me because of it. <laughs> it's pretty bad. And it's actually like I don't like taking red eyes or when I do, I stay up. I'm oh, very self-conscious no. oh. or when I go camping, I'm also very self-conscious yeah. of, cause it's, it's like a gorilla. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad has it and like us together, it's, you will never sleep. Raise the um, roof. So actually, um, so did weed help it? I'm dying of it, curiosity. It here. really <laughs> did. It helped me one fall asleep, but edibles helped me get over the anxiety around oh, the fact that I was snoring. Oh, that's great. So, yeah. Like I no longer feel like super self-conscious. I will tell people I'm around, like, just please just bump into me if I'm snoring. But like, this is something that I deal with. I'm happy to wake up and adjust, but like it's coming. Also, I'm going to sleep. (laughs) Uh, So for me, it was really around anxiety, but it also helped me fall asleep in the sense of just making sure I wasn't thinking too many thoughts because I'm an overthinker. Mm -hmm. Um, And it coincided when I fell into a meditation practice. So cannabis with meditation are very uh, intertwined for me. Isn't that so true? We just, our whole last episode was around this with Joe with being present and how to use cannabis and meditation. And it's so powerful, isn't it? Oh, I love that. And it's really true. And I feel like not enough people, like I was listening to a podcast today and they were saying, you know, people are so concerned about working out their biceps, but we won't work out on our minds. Mm -hmm. And that's what meditation is. It's like fitness for your brain. Exactly. (laughs) Be like, shut up, brain. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely need to take a note from you and Joe and meditate more. And you too, Erin. Actually, you guys are all three really good about it. And and add the smoking weed part to that too. Yes, yes. (laughs) That will help. (laughs) It will help. I love it. So we're talking today about asking for what you need. As you took that leap to branch out on your own, did you have this like sort of not whether it was a moment or a period of time where you realized you needed to do a little self-reflection or kind of look internally and ask yourself that question like what do I need? Where do I go from here? I mean, you have had a um quite a career thus far and then all of this taking your 
mainstream CPG knowledge, what you learned with your former cannabis company, and then applying that to this career with the foundation of helping other brands build their story and kind of, I mean, that's a big part of shaping the cannabis industry. So I would love to just hear a little more about that. Yeah, asking for what you need, I think, is important. And I think, especially for women, I think it's something I continue to grow and strengthen that muscle. I think the reason why work has been challenging for me specifically is because on one hand, I haven't been the best at asking for what I need. But secondly, um, environments haven't made it safe or made it um, like a thing that one can do. And so Mm -hmm. I think over time, for me at least, you get this residual resentment (laughs) of work in the sense that I'm not getting paid what I'm worth or I'm not further along as as I want to be, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And that's not due to any one place our company. It's just like over time, it just sort of compounds, at least in my experience. Um, And for me, it wasn't so much like ask for what you want. It was really more like listen to what, listen to what your body is telling you to do. And my body was telling me like, Kimberly, it's time for you uh, to go out on your own. I've always been very entrepreneurial, but I've already, I've always dipped into it. Mm -hmm. It's always been like a side project or something that was just kind of fun. Um, and about nine months ago, what I started realizing is that I have had friends who <laughs> I'm so thankful to them. They have listened <laughs> to like at least 255 of my crazy business money making ideas. <laughs> <laughs> to have it that wasn't many. Until, <laughs> it honestly wasn't until I was in cannabis where like they were coming to me. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, you know, they were asking me about my expertise and were paying attention. And and uh, I'm like, wait, what's happening? And I'm like, oh, this is the time where I'm actually in an industry where there's demand. Mm, right. <laughs> and my ideas are in a demand. Everything else I've always had ideas around happened, but like five years later. So I've always been one of those people who kind of sees the future, but like no one is quite there yet. Or I make it incredibly complicated and people are like, I want one-tenth of that. And it wasn't until cannabis where I was like, wow, this is an industry uh, that has so much potential um, and you're right in it. And it's great that you're building all of this sort of like equity and energy um, for a company. But imagine if you spent this amount energy building yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it wasn't even so much as it relates to cannabis. So uh, I do stand up and I've invested in like lots of stand up classes, lots of hosting classes, etc. I have never gone on an audition. <laughs> that is so much fun. So you do stand up comedy. I do stand up comedy. I don't do it uh, actively. I still write every okay. day, but I merge that with my artist way practice of morning pages. But like humor is something that's important to me in how I communicate and how I tell stories. So even though it's not going to be like, oh, I'm on the circuit, comedy is something that's very intentional in how I communicate. And it was a skill that I worked on as was hosting and like reading about teleprompters and how to write stories, et cetera. And it's a long-winded way to say that uh, 
They were eight people in my class three years ago. All eight of them are on television. Oh, my God. One is on Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) After he took a stint at Oprah, and I'm like, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) That is wild. You know, something that really um, kind of stuck out to me that you said was that you – you know, it wasn't just about asking for what you want. It's about listening. And I think so often we do, we ask questions and we focus so much about asking the right questions at an interview or asking questions of a girlfriend or, you know, asking questions at work, but we don't focus as much on like actually listening to the answers. (laughs) Or listening to ourselves. Or listening to ourselves. And so Mm -hmm. I think just listening, I'm actually reading a book, a parenting book right now that's called listen. (laughs) It's like, how much more basic does it get than that? (laughs) That sounds brutal. Yeah. It's actually really interesting, but I love that you talk about, you know, talked about listening and there's something in comedy too about, you know, the way that you read a room and you listen to the, the audience laugh and you, and also, I mean, I guess I would guess that you practice your jokes and you practice, you know, speaking. And, um, so it, it all kind of like ties together as just being a really good listener. And I think as marketers, we need to listen to our consumers and our customers. So, um, one, one quick question, Kimberly, can you give us a joke for our spark of joy today? Think oh, about yes, it. something to think about. <laughs> I'll, I'll think about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's going to be so many jokes in this interview, ladies. I know. I love <laughs> Just it. Listen. Um, <laughs> no, I, I love what you said around listening because it is true. And I think it's around being active. And I think people think of listening as like I'm hearing words. But listening is so much more than that. So for me, especially in the context of this show, which is about um, how to ask for what you want, I feel like our bodies tell us what we want. And I think we're so detached as Americans from our body. For me, at least, I had this idea to be, you know, to go out my own at probably like nine months ago. And I just kept overlooking it because it didn't make any sense because I'm like, I'm doing so well where I'm at and I'm super comfortable, et cetera. And physically, my body started like responding in the sense of like, just like something was trying to come out of my skin, like the time is now and you're not listening. The t- Like literally it felt like I needed to give birth to something. That's how visceral it was for me in the last couple of months where my body was like, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was sitting in meetings like, you do not want to be here. <laughs> this is not what, you know, you, ha- this is not where you need to be. And so it was really my body screaming at me like, this is not the look. And well, so honoring what my body was sort of telling me and what my intuition was telling me, Intuition is so powerful, and I think we know as women that we have it, but I feel like a lot of us are still pretty scared of it, are always trying to validate it without like using it necessarily as a compass, and it's hella scary to do that. But well, because it may be telling you to do something that you don't know how to do, which mm-hmm. is why I like that you've done the the different stand-ups and really stretching yourself to get better at speaking and you know being able to think quickly in stressful situations or off the cuff. And that's uncomfortable. And growth is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's the part where people can have these dreams and have a vision of where they want to go, but they're too uncomfortable to ask for what they want or to do that thing they know they need to do. That is such... So Erin and I talk about this a lot. As we're building this company, I, I feel my anxiety very physically. Like I literally make myself sick. And so... 
this place of discomfort that we live in as cannabis entrepreneurs has taken me a very long time to adjust to and to get comfortable with. And so I think as a woman stepping out on your own and doing what you're doing, like, what do you do to kind of overcome those feelings or to kind of, you know, aside from just like once you've listened and you kind of sit into what it is, how did you take that leap to make that next step? Well, I always have a fuck you fund. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, I love that. And, I did when uh, I started this thing. <laughs> yeah. Now what? <laughs> um, but I've always had one. So that's no indication of here nor there. So I always have one and I aggressively save. So like once I'm, you know, because we have our hierarchy of needs and money is obviously one of them. So um, I always have it. I have a vacation. I, how I save my money is like, I invest my money, but like, I've always put 5% of anything I ever get into this fuck you fund. And I have done it for years. And that's the fund where like, there, there's no R, no ROI needed. Like Mm -hmm. it is literally for me to do whatever the hell I want. Don't ask me any questions. I'm a grown woman type money. (laughs) (laughs) Buy those shoes. (laughs) Yeah. So that it all comes out of this like fuck you fund that I've had for like 15 years. So all right, ladies, fuck you fund. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I always wanted to be able to like, if I need to go somewhere and I've tapped into it before. So I have quit my job a lot. I've quit my job to start ventures before. And I actually, I should share that story because that's why I feel different this time is that I quit Clorox to start a business and I got, and I did it like in the most extreme way because everyone was starting an app at the time. And I feel like in San Francisco, there's so much hustle porn and it was just like grind, grind. So like I was eating ramen noodles and I moved to a cheap apartment and uh, I was working all the time and I gained all this weight, but it was like, oh, but I'm building. And I got incredibly depressed for literally years. Um, the business failed. Actually, the business, I was on, um, I had a two-page spread in Fast Company magazine. Wow. Let's say that came out on Monday. On that previous Sunday, uh, I had shut down my business with my business partner. Oh. And on Monday, the magazine hit these newsstands. Oh, and all these people were like, we want to invest in you, speak at this conference. We want to do this, that, and the third. And I'm like... For what? (laughs) No. And it was like the most humiliating thing that I had ever experienced. And I actually ran away from everyone. Like some of my friends like just saw me last year in San Francisco. It's been like nine years. Like I ran away and hid and ran into stand-up because I felt so embarrassed by it all. And so since then, I've had these dinners called Failure Feast where (laughs) – all these women come together and we talk about our failures and we're super open about it. And so I'm actually incredibly comfortable with failing because I tend to do it a lot. <laughs> Me too. Frequently and in public. <laughs> Me three. Um, so. I, I think that builds though the resiliency and the grit that you need to have the confidence to take risk because if you're so afraid of failing, you're paralyzed, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you have to take risks to make gain in whatever aspect that is in life. And so I love it. I, I think failure is the key to, to a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just refuse to, one, get fat or depressed again. So um, <laughs> there, I just cannot. Like, it, 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 it's really a mental choice for me. And so 
Um, I'm not afraid to fail. And I actually thank stand-up for that. Like, I think more than not raising money, more than that business, more than getting dumped by my boyfriend right before vacation, which happened a couple months ago, like, more than any of those things, if you are on stage telling jokes and there's crickets, that is, like, the worst feeling one can experience. And, like, it is just... (laughs) It is horrible. <laughs> I and can only imagine. <laughs> so often. <laughs> and so that just really taught me to be like, this is the bottom. <laughs> this is oh literally gosh. the bottom. And everything else is really just like a temporary moment of like, I'm not into your idea. I'm not into your business. I don't want you to be my girlfriend. But when you're on stage, like, I do not like you as a human being with thoughts. <laughs> no, because no. it is. I mean, it's so vulnerable. It's not, it's not just, like, talking. It's something you thought about and wrote, yes. and like, with and great like, intention. No. And you're like, this is going to kill it. And then, They're no. like, no. <laughs> and it's not even just, like, a no. It's like you can look at their faces and be like, it's a strong no. <laughs> so and I so have, that really, really I PTSD of a middle school piano concert. So I had to play piano in my life because my mother was a special education teacher and, you know, math and piano are connected in the brain. And so, and as you know, I'm a chemical engineer, Kimberly. Well, so I had to play piano at the talent show in eighth grade. Now it's like, like the epitome of the awkward middle schooler. And I forgot all of my words. And oh, so mid song, no. I mean, it was, it was, it was music, not words, but mid song, it was like, nee, nee, nee. crickets. crickets. <laughs> I walked off the stage <laughs> but and it was that feeling of like, nobody claps. Oh, Everybody was like, no. you just fucked up. <laughs> it is that bottom. But it is like you, I think it's something really important for parents to instill in their children and for us to really understand that like you will not have success until you take a great risk and experience failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and taking risk is again, living in that place of discomfort um, and being, you know, aware enough to understand that like there is an end and you're gro- you're building something and you're growing and you're learning. So I think, I mean, I love that you took that leap and you've taken this journey. I want to shift a little bit because you are a marketing queen and I want to pick your brain. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and um, so we're really looking at, you know, we want to help women take the step that they want to take to either, you know, branch out on their own to build a business like you've done, or perhaps take a job at a place that they thought they wouldn't be able to get a job, or, you know, quit their jobs altogether and go be a stay at home mom, but just take those leaps. So I think marketing yourself or marketing your business can kind of go together. So whether, I just putting for context to the listeners out there, even if you're not thinking about marketing like a specific business or a product, you can take this and put into context marketing yourself as you, you know, put yourself out there into the world. Um, So I would love for you to share with us, Kimberly, some of the things that you're seeing in mainstream marketing that you don't think canapreneurs have really taken up yet, or you feel like it's opportunity for those of us in the cannabis industry to kind of tap into and, and see if it would work for us on this side of the coin. Yeah, well, we did. We just did a detour to some serious. Yeah, you questions. like that? <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk um, you into a circle. <laughs> you know, the first thing that came to my mind is that, uh, and I hate this word, which is around personal branding, 
But I feel like a lot in the general market, especially when you think about things like beauty or food or some of these more lifestyle industries, those founders tend to like infuse the brand and you tend to having an authentic backstory and following those people is, is one of the strategies that, uh, emerging lifestyle brands take. And I would say that, uh, We have influencers in the cannabis space, but I'm not sure that they're the influencers that we want or need or or if it's a little bit one-sided. Because right now I feel like we have influencers that are consuming products on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But not really people who are, you know building their personal brands, which is why I give kudos to this, to the two of you and this podcast, because I think it really is around like marketing your product, but like sharing behind the curtains of like, these are the people who are running and birthing this company and these products. Cause I think more than ever, people want authenticity. They want to know who's behind these companies. They want transparency. They want to see what's happening. Yes. And so having strong personal brands, I think is incredibly important. And it's often overlooked one because pe- people don't have time or two is just seen as secondary to uh, the business. But I have found, and that also was true at the last company I was at where by exposing ourselves and who we were as people, it really did garner a lot of partnerships and a lot of sort of opportunities because people had a sense of what we stood for and who we were before we got to the table. I think and that's, that's such a great. benefit where people uh, have a sense of who you are uh, without you having to be like, and I stand for these things. Cause no one really takes it. It's like dating. And it's like, I am a good guy. And you're like, prove it. Like right. that's like saying it is not as, amazing as witnessing it. And we can witness that online. So I think personal branding in the cannabis space specifically, I think needs to grow up in comparison to the general market. Um, That's really, that was the first thing that came to my thought. Yeah. So, cause you could be like the entrepreneur of a company and you're like, Aaron and I talk about the authenticity of our brand really comes from the fact that garden society was founded upon a need that was both personal to us, but we, that we felt within our peers and our community. And so I think that's something to kind of listen. Again, we go back to listening and asking for what you want or what you need. You know, as you're thinking of an idea, really listening to your community and to those around you and helping using that to help build the authenticity behind your brand. I love that. Um, and then as we kind of dig even deeper, I don't know that a lot of people even really understand all that marketing encompasses and what it really means. So as, you know, thinking about our our listeners, what are some of the sort of key 101 tools you would recommend looking into or looking to use as they build their own brand? Yeah, to answer that question and also piggyback um, to your earlier question about another thing that I think cannabis brands can do better than general market Um, I think it's pricing. So pricing is also part of the marketing mix. And I think sometimes we, I have experienced that pricing has been done in a silo. Um, And I think it's really important to know who your competitors are and also know who your consumer base is to come at 
what is a good price and positioning for your brand. So I'm a very uh, persona-driven marketer where I know who my consumer segments are. They have names. I know where they're shopping. I know what they're eating. I know like their outfits. And I know that because I create the personas. And so I'm referring to Stephanie and I know that Stephanie does yoga at three o'clock and has two kids and really building this profile, this customer. So when I'm thinking about marketing tactics and the whatnot, I know is Stephanie coming to this event? Is Stephanie going to read this email? And so it serves as a really good proxy to just double check all of your marketing efforts. Um, and I put that in the branding space. Uh, I also put events kind of like in the promotion space, but I think that like two areas of the marketing mix that people don't tend to think of as marketing is both product uh, and pricing. And so pricing, I think is going to be incredibly important in cannabis. I think in the past we've priced based on the milligrams of a certain cannabinoid. We know the price of cannabis is changing dramatically. So that's kind of an outdated model. And it's also about where you want to play. If you want to be a prestige brand, uh, which is where everyone kind of wants to play. If you want to play mass, if you want to play uh, economy. So really being intentional about the type of business that you want to run and, and, and your pricing strategy, because um, if you're a mass brand, you have to do certain things. And if you're a premium brand, you have to do certain things. And I think as founders, since most of the times you'll be doing them yourselves, you have to ask yourself, do I want to do the things it takes to have a discount brand? Conversely, mm-hmm. do I want to do the things it takes to have a luxury brand? Does that fit with my vision of where I want to play? I think it's so great what you talk about with pricing, and I can't wait for that change to happen <laughs> because, I mean, it's just the industry does itself a disservice when it has an expectation of certain things, but then prices itself on an outdated model that is only going to lead to more of opposite exactly what the consumer wants. Well, right, and it causes so much confusion. Uh, I think it does a disservice to the consumer to just price by milligram because, I mean, the artic- we've all seen the articles recently, like you shouldn't be shopping for cannabis based by the THC content. It should yeah. be about um, the other cannabinoids and like what's in it and what you're using it for. And well, also and who's the technologies. Behind, and the technologies mm-hmm. and, and also who's behind the brand. I mean, do they believe in your values? You shop for other consumer packaged goods in that way. So why wouldn't you do that with cannabis? It's so outdated and it's really, um, you know, just like you have to learn the metric system if you want to play in this industry, it doesn't make any sense because um, it doesn't really actually look at your cost structure. It doesn't take into account not just the other cannabinoids, but are you using organic ingredients? Are you using ingredients sourced in your own state because it's local and artisanal? Um, Are you partnering with uh, minority suppliers and vendors. And so there's so many things that go into price. And it's unfortunate that it's so reductive in our industry. It is. Piggybacking on that, I would love to hear a little bit about what we can do as an industry, especially like in our product category, the product category of your former company. Um, how do we reach consumers to educate them on value? Like, you know, why they should spend a little bit more to get, you know, perhaps a lesser amount of THC, but like what else goes into it and how do we sell and tell that value story? Yeah, I think it's very being clear on what your value propositions are, right? 
and then figuring out how to weave them throughout all of your marketing materials and not being afraid to be like a little bit sports term pro offensive, no, pro offensive, taking a pro offensive, <laughs> I don't know, offensive. Offensive. sports words. Offensive. Yeah. Offensive. <laughs> I love that, that sounds so negative, but, oh, it um, does. <laughs> but it's about like, look, at the end of the day, it is about business. And if everyone in your category is using some shit ingredient and you are not, then it's doing a disservice to you and the category by not explaining why you made the choices that you did. If the approach that you are doing is a more superior approach, then telling that story is incredibly important. You can tell that story on packaging. You can tell that story on claims. You can tell that story by getting a patent or a trademark on your process and not just on your name. Um, you can tell that by going to a third party endorser, like cruelty free bunny mm. and like ha- our 1% for the planet. You can tell that story about the organizations you give back to. And if you give back to an environmental organization, I think as a consumer, I would think this is a company that must be eco. It can be in the choice of the paper, like we mentioned on the packaging side. Mm -hmm. It's how you communicate to the bud tenders about what your points of difference are and why um, people pay more. Because here's the thing. People are sometimes afraid of pricing uh, high, but when you price high, there is a certain segment of people who attribute value to a high price. And if your price is too low, it almost cheapens the experience. Mm -hmm. And so people, we shouldn't be afraid of pricing high if that's what the product deserves, because there is a specialness to it. And, you know, as much as like, you don't want to say it, there is a feeling by carrying whatever it is for you, an expensive handbag, like it feels a certain way than carrying my nine West, you know, handbag. (laughs) No, I think that's great. And it's a great way to kind of apply it across, like not just cannabis, but anyone trying to build a business in any segment, kind of understanding, like not to price yourself, (laughs) underprice yourself to a point where like the consumer can't understand the value simply because you're priced too low. It doesn't make sense to them. So we get the feedback a lot that, um, our target consumer says, Oh wow, well, you're so cheap. You're so affordable compared to my Chardonnay. And we, you know, have to educate them and say, well, based on our category in the dispensaries, we're the highest priced product, especially given the old buying tendencies of price per milligram. But it's exactly what you hit on between the old world and the new world with the new consumers and an expectation of what they want to pay and where they find value. But yet the gatekeepers to reaching those consumers are these old OGs who have a certain totally different buying style and value set. So it's a really interesting dynamic at play right now. Definitely. It is. And it's going to be interesting because I'm sure state by state, there's going to be different sort of uh, ways that have historically shaped that pricing all of it, which is incongruent with how consumers generally shop. (laughs) So what, how do you play a role in terms of peers? Like, do you mentor women or do you, like, what do you think that women can do to either to both mentor each other and kind of share information? And then what should women look for in finding a mentor or someone that they can kind of bounce some of these ideas off and then in turn, you know, figure out what they need to move forward? Yeah, I think as it relates to mentorship, I think one important watch out is to make sure that you mentor up and not necessarily mentor across. And what I mean by that is that 
I think it's very easy to go to networking events where you know a lot of people or see a lot of people that are on your level. Um, and that is great for friendships. <laughs> um, it's not necessarily great at leveling yourself up. And so I think it's important that we have um, mentors in our lives that are men and women who are levels above us mm-hmm. in terms of either expertise, our achievements, et cetera, um, because that's the only way you're going to grow if, if someone's already been there. Sometimes I think, at least I have this problem and observe this with other women, is that I go to these events or I, I tend to find solidarity amongst my peer group, which is amazing and provides a sense of comfort. And so I think it is important to have like these peer advocate situations, whether that's group chats or whether that's uh, going to the same networking events. But if you already know most of the people there, like that's a different category Mm -hmm. of uh, mentorship and networking. And so what I would encourage women to do is like figure out how you could mentor yourself up because it's all about up leveling around someone who's had that experience before. Um, That can really, I think that is the sort of like the true dynamic. And I don't necessarily think that should just be in a one-off mentorship I think the rooms we should go to should be more people who are above us than are at the same level. And so if the events that we're going to are not, (laughs) aren't on that level, it's like, how do I create rooms where I can invite people (laughs) that are of that level that I need Mm -hmm. um, and create that space and dynamic. But I, I, I tend to think that uh, what I've observed in the cannabis industry, at least is that we kind of, network across horizontally versus networking up. I definitely see that. I think that's a really good point. And um, really, I think that's some great advice for how to find a mentor and kind of, again, like it's a little bit of going outside of your comfort zone again. again. So really figuring out how to ask for what you need and what you want is an uncomfortable place to be, but just understanding that there is that relief and that you're going to grow so much. Um, as an individual, and then in turn, your business will grow. So that's really... It reminds me of fundraising too, because how uncomfortable are all those rooms when you're going to raise money at these events in New York and Toronto and, right. you know, it's exactly kind of what we're living in real time. Definitely. So Kimberly, from your perspective, this is always kind of a fun thing to get. So what are you seeing in the cannabis industry now from a marketing perspective in terms of the biggest mistakes people are making? And also, where do you see it going? Like how, I guess, what advice would you give um, current brands that are growing and scaling to really stand out in the future? What advice do you have for us? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the one thing that irritates my soul more than anything is not something that you have done. But um is like the fact that people still feel the need to put Canna in their name or in their branding. <laughs> it's just like, it is just absurd to me. And there are actually some legit people in the space that I have written off because whatever their name is, is Canna something, something. And I've had to correct myself, but like, it is such a red flag for me. I think right now from a market perspective is product market fit in the sense of, I feel like a lot of people are playing in the same space. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to Hall of Flowers, I felt from a product perspective, all the products that kind of fall into a similar sort of category without real product innovation. And I felt like from a branding perspective, 
the brands kind of felt also the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. There were, um, it did sort of feel like the, I felt like there were different categories or at least people trying to reach slightly different consumers, but then they were all doing it in the same way. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that there's an opportunity to be really bold because I think that there's a lot of noise right now. Um, and I think that, it's risky, but I would probably put my money in something that makes a bold move that there's no other cannabis player in yet and figuring out how you can get that first mover advantage. Or I would really differentiate um, on the product offerings that I'm bringing to the table. And so when we talk about many of your listeners who may just be starting something up, you know, Selling in is a big part of the process as well. And so if you want to sell in a vape pen or like a pre-roll, then you really have to think about how does that play at shelf and like what is what is different about my product. Mm-hmm. And that has to not be like incrementally better. <laughs> right. But like amazingly better are different. Um, Melissa from 1864 spoke at a conference we were just at, and she said that every entrepreneur needs a pillow and a mirror. And I think this talks to the mirror and what you're saying, Kimberly, because there's so many products that are like the same shit. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you need somebody to say like, yo girl, that's the same shit as this brand. That's not that (laughs) different. Or no, this really is actually value added or really is different. Mm -hmm. And there's so much of this blob of blur where it's adjacent similar Mm -hmm. things and I think exactly what you speak to like can you look in a mirror and feel that the feedback you're getting is truly differentiated Ooh, and what does the pillow refer to you need your sob partner right the person you can Ah. cry into (laughs) where you can land fluffy (laughs) a safe landing place you know I actually think that's so good because two people I know I recently moved and two people I know who are in different phases of starting their business, all live on the same street as me. Oh, my gosh. And so every morning uh, at 7, we do our walks with the puppies. And then also at night, we do our walks. And it's actually been such a great informal support system about, like, what was your win for today? What does tomorrow look like? And the proximity of that has been, like, really amazing of, like, wow, we're all just losing our minds together. Yeah, that's that's the pillow, right? I call my my pillow is Carly, my (laughs) co-founder. I will have to say, yes, agreed. (laughs) My husband's very grateful, too, that it's not him. (laughs) Oh, that's an important one, too, about, like, yeah, making sure it's consensual. (laughs) Yeah, that would be awkward. (laughs) Oh, my God, you're making me laugh so so hard. I can't. To a friend. I had a best friend who'd be like, Kimberly, like, I know this is super exciting and like every day something's new for you, but like, I'm also your friend and we need to talk about other things beyond weed. (laughs) Oh my God. That's like going out with my girlfriends who are moms. And I'm like, can we please not talk about kids? Like, I don't want to talk about my kid anymore. Like, no, it's like going, I'm, and also the cannabis business. You're like, I swear there's more to me than just like mom and cannabis. (laughs) But it's so hard. I'm trying to explain. I'm like, this industry is new though. Yeah. (laughs) I need to talk to someone. I know, I know. It is so funny. So I would love to share, kind of jump into our spark of joy for this episode. So we talked to Kimberly and we mentioned that at the end of every every episode, we do our spark of joy. So Erin, 
Okay, uh, no one knows this. So Erin had ear surgery a few days ago, and her ear is full of cotton and covered up, and she is such a trooper for being here what? right now. What? Yeah, what? So Erin, what? what is your spark of joy? Um, uh, what? What? Just kidding. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> I do have an echo. I hope that goes away at some point. In my oh, life. God. Um, I have two, actually, today. My first spark of joy is definitely my mother. She came in. I thought I was like getting my ear pierced or something for the surgery. I thought it'd be super easy. Maybe it was at Claire's at the mall. <laughs> and I woke up four hours later in the OR of UCSF and my mom was there and made life so much easier coming out of it and helped me heal up to today. So she was amazing godsend. And my second spark of joy is Carly Scrunchy. It's circa 1981, and it's salmon corduroy, and it's really large, like larger than her pony. And I'll be I sure never, to include that in the show notes. Yeah, I never thought I'd see such a scrunchie again in my life, and I'm so glad they're back. So we had a white elephant for Christmas with a bunch of my mom friends, and one of the prizes had all of these old school looking scrunchies in it. And I was absolutely like, I need those scrunchies. I must have them. They were from Urban Outfitters. Anyway, fancy scrunchies. I love my scrunchies. Oh my Kimberly and Joe, do you guys have sparks of joy? Well, Kimberly, I thought was supposed to tell y'all a joke. Oh, yeah, we're her yeah, spark yeah. of joy. Kimberly. I do not have a joke that's come to mind yet, but what I will say is that I went, and I think, Erin, you're friends with Ophelia, but I oh, went yes. to Ophelia's house uh, for the first time, and it was such an amazing experience, and she's going to kill me for this. This is to evoke the scene, not to evoke Ophelia. Okay. <laughs> but, like, it we'll just text her such... before the episode comes out. <laughs> <laughs> it just had such, like, grandma medicine woman vibes <laughs> in the sense that I came in and there were just so many gifts of like, I just haven't had like proper tea with 18 types of cookies and cheese. And do you want a succulent? And do you want a goji berry? And do you want some weed? And do you want some plants? And do you want this daffodil? And like, it was just like a constant <laughs> A cornucopia of gifts. of gifts. I love that because every time Erin sees Ophelia, she has a gift. She does. It's she so she's cute. given us amazing she gifts. She brought us these cool, like her. vintage film canisters for little stash boxes. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. that. That's a great one. That's so. And fun. she's such a giver. And so then I was like, man, I'm the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I'm she gonna is. have to she's work amazing. on like a signature gift. <laughs> there you go. And okay. I'm gonna buy a hundred of them. It's part of marketing yourself. <laughs> I see it exactly. Now. <laughs> I see it now. <laughs> Joe, do you have any joy that was sparked? Oh yes. So I just got back from Portland. I was there for the Cultivation Classic. So I was exploring the cannabis culture there and talking with people and also shooting video for the pilot of the show I'm working on right now. That is so cool. Yes. All right. Well, will you debut the launch of the show on Garden Society? Yeah, podcast? Podcast? <laughs> Maybe I You're will. Like, well, Maybe. it had to go on my kidding. podcast first and then yours. <laughs> okay, good. As long as we get like top five. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. That's so cool. Congratulations. Yes. I'm so excited for oh you. Oh my gosh. It's so exciting. And my little gift I always give are this, you know, my stash bags. Oh, yes. So. Joe has 
killer uh, stash yeah, bags. I have one. They are yes. awesome. I love those. Oh, my spark of joy was cleaning out my freaking house this weekend with my husband. It was so awesome. <laughs> you were high then. Decluttering. Yes, we were okay. high. We went out for a drink at the bar. Then we came back and did some more picking up. And decluttering is very, very joyous, I will it say. Is. It's satiating. Um, well, Kimberly, this has been so much fun. I cannot wait um, to see how this all comes together into a wonderful story. I would love for you to share with our listeners um, how they can reach you, whether that's on social media or however you would like for them to communicate with you. And then also we'll post links to anything uh, that you've mentioned or talked about and also your handles on our show notes. Oh, that's amazing. So um, the consulting company is called Plant and Prosper and the URL is plantandprosper.co. And I'm working with both companies and with individuals in the Canvas space as relates to branding, strategy, go-to-market launches, et cetera. And then where I'm at and the way to reach me, because I'm obsessed with Instagram, is at Kimberly K. Dillon on Instagram. Um, My mom and I talk through Instagram, so I'm pretty much on it all day long. Awesome. I love (laughs) love Instagram too. That's great. Well, thank you again so much for having us. And to all of our wonderful listeners, thank you again for spending time with us. And we cannot wait for the next episode of Garden Society, the podcast. Bye-bye. Be sure to check the podcast show notes at thegardensociety.com for a deeper dive into each episode. Engage with Carly and Aaron via social at GRDN Society. If you like what you hear, help spread the joy. Subscribe, rate, and review Garden Society, the podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Garden Society, the podcast is produced by Joanna Newding and recorded in the casually baked studio in downtown Oakland, California. Sound engineering is performed by Arnav Gupta. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.